This is the Macmillan Library Podcast, a community conversation maker, bringing you curated conversations with Macmillan librarians, community members, authors, musicians, artists, and more. Welcome back to the Macmillan Conversation Maker Podcast. Today, we have Art Stevenson from Art Stevenson and High Water. They recently played at Macmillan. He's a guitarist, harmonicist, and lead singer. Art Stevenson has been playing bluegrass music in the Midwest for 25 years. We're very lucky to have him on the podcast to hear his story, how he got into bluegrass, how he came to be playing in prominent bluegrass festivals and at the Macmillan Library, And as a special treat, he also plays a few songs for us here in studio. You're not going to want to miss it. Here's Art Stevenson. Today I have Art Stevenson on the podcast. Thank you for coming. It's good to be here, Colin. Good to be here. Uh, Could you, let's start off, could you just give a little background about yourself for people who may not know who you are? Right. Okay. I'm from central Wisconsin. Uh, My family moved here in the 1960s, and so I went to school here. Uh, Finished school, went to college at UWSP, and then then, uh, a little bit of school down in UW-Madison, and... uh, Moved here and there, but always ended up returning to central Wisconsin. So this is this is my home. Uh, my wife and I now live in Babcock, Wisconsin, where we own 30 acres. And we, uh, we're both involved with music very heavily. We've been playing music for many years, ever since we met, pretty much. So uh, I guess my musical start was when, when I was very young. I, I was exposed to all kinds of music at home because my parents liked classical and they liked jazz and, and they liked some popular music. Um, so I got to hear quite a bit of different, different styles and they wanted me to take piano lessons. Mm -hmm. It didn't work out very well. (laughs) I, um, I didn't really like my piano teacher. I I didn't want to sit on the piano bench with her. And so I kind of gave up and they gave up on me too, as far as that goes. But, uh, a few years later, um, I wanted a guitar. And so they bought me a guitar and I learned how to play that. Uh, in my teens, uh, but but backing up a few years, I did manage to get a, a toy harmonica when I was about seven, which sounded pretty good, and I I got pretty stuck on it. I I, I tried to play anything I could on it, and uh, uh, I ended up learning some Stephen Foster melodies when I was very young, and I used to sleep with the harmonica under my pillow so I could get up and play first thing in the morning. You That's know? awesome. And uh, so I've played harmonica ever since then. So. I had harmonica, but I did not uh, learn any songs. I don't think <laughs> it's it's not the most intuitive instrument. I you can't see what you're doing. It's all feel, and and uh, it's pretty much you're you're projecting through the harmonica what you're doing with your the back of your mouth and with uh, the air column between your mouth and your lungs, and this and that, and you know when. When you get into horn playing or saxophone playing or reed playing or things like that, they have the same approach. They use their bodies to make a tone as well as the instrument to make the tone. And you have to do that with the harmonica because the harmonica is so small. Yeah. You know, by itself, it has no tone really, really. So so it's an instrument that truly is you. It's kind of like an extension of your voice, except without so many notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my uncle plays the harmonica, yeah. but he, uh, I think he told me a couple things about 
curling your tongue or something on the different spaces and mm-hmm. I'm, I can never really get the hang of it. Bending notes, yeah. C- yep, curling your tongue back, right? It's a change in vowel sound. It's like going from E to O and and that difference will uh, will force the harmonica to drop in pitch. At certain reads anyway, we'll do that, so... And you play the harmonica in your band now? I do, yeah. I play harmonica. I play guitar. I also play bass. When my wife plays guitar, we switch because she's the bass player. So sometimes she likes to to uh, to get out in front and sing, and, and we encourage her to do so, and so she usually grabs the guitar. So I play three instruments in the band. Did you ever learn the piano or keys? Uh, no. And, Never you picked know, it back? I mean, my hands are kind of small. My hands are are small even for playing guitar, and so I wouldn't have been a a technical player at all on the piano. So it's a good thing I just chose something else, I guess. But I love piano. I have all kinds of music f- of piano recordings from from uh, ragtime up until, you know, modern stuff. You know? So what were, what were the first songs you learned on the guitar? Um, probably the, uh, <laughs> probably the Wildwood Flower. Um, you know, before that, it was just noodling around trying to find chords and things like that. I had a chord book. And I was into rock and roll, you know, and so I wanted to play rock and roll. But on the other hand, songs like uh, uh, The Wild of Flower were really easy to play. So I learned that one. And I also learned a version of The House of Rising Sun, which nobody mm-hmm. hears. It's it's not the animal's version. It's Leadbelly's version. Oh, okay. And so I, I learned that, you know, and, and, and most of it was just strumming because I wanted to sing. I was already singing when I learned guitar. And so... So the guitar was a perfect accompaniment for my singing. You know, all I have to do is keep keep the beat, change chords on time, back myself up with the guitar, and, uh, you know, then you're a one-man band, pretty much. So you pursued the guitar. Did you start playing in bands, like, fairly quickly, or did that come a lot later? Uh, it took a while. Um, the harmonica came first, and so that took me about two years of hard work, and then I started sitting in with people like country western bands and blues bands and things like that and then finally bluegrass and the harmonica really isn't a bluegrass instrument it's it's not often featured in bluegrass music but i ended up working it into it you know i learned how to play solos the way a fiddle player might take a solo in a bluegrass band and a song and so so it worked and and i used to play this little shuffle that uh that worked out very nicely in the bluegrass band so by the time I was in college, it took me two years, but I got into this good bluegrass band called Blue Mountain, Blue Mountain Bluegrass, and we were based in Stevens Point, and I was the harmonica player. That's awesome. Yeah. And then as far as the guitar goes, I didn't have a good guitar. I just had this this one that my parents bought me, which was really hard to play. And so I rented a, a little Gibson, a little Gibson hollow body guitar, and I rented it from a guy that I played music with in, in the bluegrass band. And uh, I took it home for the summer and I think he charged me like 25 bucks for the whole summer to rent this guitar. And so I sat down and started listening to bluegrass recordings and, and tried to play along. And, and I learned a lot. You know, I spent, spent the whole summer in my, my mother and dad's basement, you know, learning how to, to play the guitar. So it took, took a whole summer. And then, then I bought a good guitar, an Epiphone, which was stage worthy. And, uh, you know, again, about two years after I really got serious about the guitar, I was playing it with bands or at least with the bluegrass band and later on with, uh, with my own group. The yeah, I band. saw your so, 
musical resume online and it said <laughs> your your first guitar was like trying to play a barbed wire fence. Yeah, it was high <laughs> strung. I think my parents paid 25 bucks. They didn't really have high hopes that I'd learn it. You know, they thought that it yeah, would it's just- Yeah, a safe bet to buy yeah. the cheap one and you know, I'd drift wait a few on, weeks you know, and see. Exactly, yeah. you know, and so- so, but I really did learn a lot on that guitar, and I think it's still around. I think it's in my mother's basement, you know, pretty much where I left it. But, uh, but, but I learned a lot on it, and then I had to get a, a better one for stage, naturally. So, so I went through a whole series of horse trades to get, to get, uh, you know, to my first Martin, for instance, which was in 1985, and then, you know, I've played Martins ever since. Pretty so much. you said you you liked rock music when you got oh yeah the guitar and stuff. So why? Why did you get into a bluegrass band then? Was it the learning the Wildwood Flower and like those kind of songs that yeah. brought you down a path or what happened? Well, I can tell you what happened. Um, I, I really liked rock and roll from the age of like nine up until I got out of high school. And I was kind of exploring other types of music by then, including bluegrass. So from rock and roll to bluegrass, what happened was I got invited to go to Mole Lake the Mole Lake Bluegrass Festival in 1976. And I just graduated high school. I was painting apartment buildings for a job. And the job ended up just before the Mole Lake Fest. So I finished painting, stuck out my thumb, took my harmonicas and went up to Mole Lake. And I hitchhiked in and I met my friends there. And then, so that was the first time I'd really heard bluegrass. A lot of it at one time. Lester Flat was there. Uh, Bobby Smith and the boys from Shiloh. Um, I think the Newgrass Revival was there that first year, and then uh, Doc Watson, of course, and Vassar Clements, and so it was quite a quite a collection of of historical figures in this in this music, this bluegrass music, and and I got exposed to it. So I came away with that music just ringing in my head, and I ran into another friend from high school, uh, a guy who's now a uh, a preacher. He he went into into preaching for a living. He's done it for many, many years, and he still does music. But uh, but at that time, we were just hitchhiking around in northern Wisconsin after Mole Lake and just kind of bumming around and playing music together. And and, and uh, it was quite an experience. And so so that was my first big bluegrass experience. That sounds awesome. I would it have was. liked to have been at that festival. It was. I, I wish you had been able to see that. I wish, I wish you had. Yeah. Cool. So you play at festivals now with your bluegrass band. I do. Yeah, we've been playing festivals... I put out a record in 1996, and, and uh, I'd been in a band before that called uh, the Wisconsin River Bluegrass Boys, and they they uh, had gotten some attention. We had gotten some attention because we auditioned for Bill Monroe, the father of bluegrass. We auditioned for him down in Indiana, and um, uh, he was very impressed, and he asked us if we wanted to play some shows down in Nashville. And so, of course, we were very excited, and we said, yes, sir, you know, mm-hmm. and uh he got us on uh, a number of shows, and 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 immediately that drew attention to us from festival promoters, and so we got onto the festival circuit uh, through Kentucky and Southern Indiana and Illinois and Iowa and uh, around the Midwest, and of course Wisconsin too. So, so that was back in in the uh, late '80s, uh, mid '80s. But uh, but I put out a record in 1996. It was one of the first bluegrass CDs that came out in Wisconsin. I think Jerry was in Tusky put one out about the same time. And then Chris Powers put one out at the same time. And then there was mine. And so the three of us were, you know, the first bluegrass musicians to record on a CD format in this state. And I just sent the thing out. I didn't really have a steady band. I decided to call it Art Stevenson and High Water. Um, and I didn't know who I, 
I was going to get. You know who High Water was. You know, and I knew who I wanted, and my wife was in it, and uh, Dale Reichert was in it, our banjo player. He's still with us, you know. And then we had Chris Silver at that time, and for a while we had Brian Wickland, and uh, Dennis Cosgrove played fiddle with us for a while. He passed away. But I put out that first record, and then I just sent it out to all these radio stations, and the phone started ringing. I mean, it goes to show if you put out a good record, if you can demonstrate that you're, you know, capable of producing some really good music, people will pay attention if you get the word out to them. And uh, so that's what happened to us. And all of a sudden the phone is ringing and I'm like, oh boy, I better get this band rehearsed. You know, we put out a good studio record, but we just, you know, we weren't playing very regularly. We had a one night a week. We had every week uh, show at a bar called Schmidt's Corners and it's still out there. It's in, it's in Wapaka County. It's near Iola. And we played out there every Thursday night. And that was like the only gig we had. And it was a good one. But, uh, but when we put out that record in 1996, then the phone started ringing and then, you know, people called us up and said, well, we've got a festival in Illinois. How about you come down and play it? You know, and we were on the stage then with, with some notable people, you know, and about that time, the Wisconsin River Boys broke up, you know, and, and the band just kind of Broke up, and so so I I I've been putting ever since then all my efforts into Art Stevenson and High Water. What was the bluegrass scene in Wisconsin like back then? Because it seems that it's growing in popularity as of the late last uh, I don't know five or so years. It's- oh yeah. Well, what's what's going on now is that um, is that there's this big move of uh, bluegrass related music, and some of it's pretty, pretty straight bluegrass and some of it, some of it isn't, but it appeals to the same audience. And, and so you've got just a great variety of bands out there from Wisconsin and from around Wisconsin. Um, but, but going back a few years in, in the late 1980s, I couldn't get a bluegrass gig that paid any money in Wisconsin in the late 1980s. Uh, when I lived in Madison, then I, I played country music and I, I got paid fairly well to play country music. So I was in this country rock band, you know, Mm -hmm. we played pop tunes and we played whatever we wanted besides that, but it was country. And I'd go down to Illinois or, you know, outside of the state and I'd get paid well to play bluegrass music with the Wisconsin River Bluegrass Boys. That took a long time to catch on in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. There were only one or two festivals like Mole Lake was still going and a couple others here and there, you know, that, that were rather difficult to get into. Competition was tough from mostly from out-of-state bands and there were a few good in-state bands too. But um, that's really different now. I mean, there's a festival every weekend now. Yeah, it's amazing that there's so many festivals and not just festivals, but so many that are like really bluegrass Mm -hmm. centric or revolving around the bluegrass sound. Yeah, bluegrass and bluegrass related. Like you've got your boats in bluegrass, you've got flat rock. I run a show called Bluegrass in the Pines. Um, There are all kinds of different, there's the Jack Pine Jamboree. Um, It just goes on and on. Uh, the Ladysmith Bluegrass Festival, that one's called Northwoods Bluegrass Fest. That's pretty traditional. Um, there's another one way up in Northwest Wisconsin about that time of year that's very traditional too. And I, I've never played there, but so I don't know the name of it. But um, but yeah, every weekend there's something going on. There's Moon Dance, which really it, it's more of a jam fest, but they, mm, they yeah. hire an occasional bluegrass act in there too. Blue so. Ox. Yeah, Blue yeah. Ox is huge. Oh, yeah. 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 So... Yeah, I've been meaning to get to Boats in Bluegrass. I have a friend that goes every year. I haven't gotten there yet, though. It, it's it's gotten competitive. I mean, and they're all good festivals, too. Uh, and and so what do you do, you know? So I have a traditional bluegrass festival, Bluegrass in the Pines, and I, I try to keep it as, as close to the bluegrass sound of Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys as I can, but I also hire a few string bands, 
you know, because I like the string band music. Yeah. And I hire old-time fiddlers, too. You know, last year we had the, uh, the freight hoppers up, and they play old-time 1920s fiddling, and it's great. So if you were, so let's say you have, I mean, you do do a festival, but let's say you're making a new festival in Wisconsin and throughout the years, all the way back, and now you need to make a lineup. Who's some of your top, top acts that you're going to get? Well, okay, drawing power in this state, um, definitely horseshoes and hand grenades. Oh, yeah. I mean, they will draw. And plus, they're, they're great musically. And I, I know them. They're all my friends. But, I mean. Yeah, they're awesome. If, if you want a festival that's going to draw, they would be in there. There's, there's a new band. Well, not, not quite so new, but Chicken Wire Empire, maybe you've heard of, from Milwaukee. And they do bluegrass-related music. They've got one of my favorite banjo players, John Pike, in the band. And, and uh, you know, they're doing bluegrass and bluegrass-related music, and they're getting very popular. So that, that would be another big drawing card right there. And My band's still a draw. Yeah. We, we're around, we've been around 25 years. This is our 25th year in the business, Colin. And, uh, you know, I figured people would be tired of us by now. T- you know, and we play songs that we've done for 20 years, and we play some new ones and, you know, some other stuff too. We try to mix it up. But people still ask for songs that we've been doing for 20-plus years, and they want to hear them again, you know. And so as long as they're not tired of them, I, I don't get tired of singing them, and I'm glad that— That's great. You know, yeah, that speaks you know. to how good of a songwriter as you must be. Yeah, and <laughs> what's the? Uh, I would like to know when you first made that first record. Like you're listening to all this, you're playing in bands. I don't know if you made originals before that, but what's your, what's your creative creative process on writing these songs like? You do the music first. Do mm-hmm. you write lyrics first, or? Well, usually some kind of story comes to mind, and you know, we're we're not we don't write a great deal of our own songs. We usually try to fold in material that we get that that's obscure, but very interesting, you know, that hasn't been touched in a while. We just kind of make it our own, but we do our own writing. And when we do, it usually just comes to, to us. My wife writes and I write. And so we'll come up with an idea and we'll, you know, maybe write it down. It might just be a poem. It might just be a line. And, but it strikes you, you know, it, it, it might have an emotional meaning to you, you know, and so, so you write it down and um, you eventually go back to it and add something to it. And then you add something more. And maybe a melody comes, you know, how am I going to use this, this lyric? You know, how's it going to, how am I going to put a melody to it and this and that? And so that comes to you and you have to work on it pretty regularly. Otherwise it just goes away. <laughs> so, I mean, the best thing, the best thing you can do is when you're working on a song like that is just record it, mm, yeah. you know, into, into any kind of recorder that you might have, you know, to your, your computer, your cell phone, whatever. And, and you'll have some kind of a copy of it that you can listen to again and not forget. So Yeah, I know. <laughs> I've. I've been playing around, messing around on the guitar before late night. I've come across something. Oh, this sounds really good. I play it like 10 times mm-hmm. and then go to sleep. And a week later, what was that? Oh, uh, no, nah, I forgot it. It's gone. You know, <laughs> and if, if you wake up in the middle of the night dreaming about some music, write it down or, or sing it into a tape recorder because you'll get, you'll get uh, at least it comes to me at night sometimes. Um, I had a weird experience. Well, not weird. It just unusual. I I used to play rhythm guitar for a really great fiddler named Lenny Springer, who now lives in Louisiana, and he uh, he taught me "Midnight on the Water," which is a beautiful fiddle tune, and it's got lots of pretty chords and it. it's very nice. It's a waltz. So I had a dream one night that that I was playing it on the harmonica, and it just never had occurred to me that I could do it. You know that it could be done. So I got up and I played it, and it's like, oh yeah, I'll be darned. You know. Who'd have thunk it? So it yeah. came to me in a dream, and I played it uh, a couple of weeks later at my 
my nephew and niece's wedding. And then I played it with some friends on stage at a festival. We just kind of did it because everybody knew it. But uh, yeah, when, when something like that comes to you, write it down uh, or record it. That's what I recommend. And then keep working on it. Go back to it. Yeah, I think that's the same thing for a lot of creative pursuits because yeah. I do more writing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you think of an idea for a story or mm-hmm. a poem or something while you're driving. Oh, I'll remember that for sure. It's a yeah. great idea. Do you have a lot and of songs? And then later on, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Do, have, you, have you recorded any of your songs? Um, I have in the past um, done some collaborations with some friends who are more, have more musical prowess than me. I'm rhythmic, rhythmically challenged. <laughs> I see. Yeah. Well, that takes work. So, yeah, I do a bunch of, like, novel writing, short story writing a lot. Sure. But, yeah, creative idea, creative process for those things is kind of kind of a similar similar go. Got to work hard at it, don't you? Yes, you do. Yeah. Get up in the morning and do some writing if you can. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Got to go there and just try to do it, just even if you don't feel like doing it. Because a lot of times, most of the time, you don't, you don't have it beforehand. And you start and you get one line that's, oh... That's good. And then all of a sudden it starts going and you're off. Yeah. Yeah. I hate to wait, but, uh, you know, to, I hate to wait to, to, to put off songwriting, but working full time and staying busy as a musician sometimes doesn't allow you much time to do anything else except take care of business and you're on task all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to retiring, which is still going to be a few years off, but. What is I- your full time? Well, I, I teach science at okay. the university. I teach physics and astronomy. And so. So eventually I'll retire from that. And then I'd, I'd like to do more writing then because I'll have time to think, you know, and time to work things out and sit down and uh, and work on these songs over and over again and revisit them over and over again and this and that. And that's how it's done, I think. That's important too. Yeah. When, I, when I've been really busy in my life and hadn't had time, you just try to always just go right to business. Yeah. It's tough. You need that time of just sitting on the couch, staring at the wall yeah. and thinking through different ideas and tumbling around things. And then, oh, Okay, get to work now. You know, and if you've got angst in your life, like if you're hurt for some reason, you know, like if – I know this – I have a friend. I'm not going to drop any names, but he makes his living in Nashville writing country songs, and he's very good at it. And a lot of them come right from his heart. Like he was hurt in relationships. You know, he was dumped by somebody in a mm-hmm. relationship. And he'd go out and cry on your shoulder for a while, and then the next thing you know, there'd be this song – you know, that would come out a few weeks later that he wrote and he'd just write, he'd, he'd write out his angst. He'd write out his emo, emotional issues into these songs and, and then sell them. And he did very well. He's done very well in Nashville. It's, it, it can actually turn into a, a living or a job at least for you, you know, if you, if you know how to uh, get them published and get them heard. And, yeah, that's great creative fuel, even yeah. though it's not very fun. But when you're having all kinds of just happy time fun, it's sometimes not the best creative feel. <laughs> if you were in a torment, then you might want to write that down. You know, at least it would take some of the energy out of the torment. It, yeah. might, it might relieve it somewhat. And then you'll have something on paper too. Who knows? If you had to be in any other bluegrass band in any time period besides yours, what would be the one that you'd want to be in, play with? Well, let's see. If I was, if I was to be reincarnated... So that, so that by World War II, I was maybe 20 years old. I'd probably go off to war and, you know, boom, and that's it. No. <laughs> but, but see, that's when bluegrass started. 
and and some of the earlier uh, pioneers of bluegrass were in the war. You know, I mean, Don Reno was, uh, I guess he was in Burma, the banjo player, and and Red Smiley was was there too, and and he he actually got shot, but he lived. And then, uh, let's see, Ralph Stanley was was in Germany at the very end of the war. Hmm. So so anyway, being re- reincarnated for me. So that I would come to age at the, like, say the late 1940s after the war, then I'd want to get in one of those pioneer bands somehow, like as a bass player, you know, Okay. Uh, or playing some part in the band just so I could be a part of it. And, you know, I'd like to see that. Yeah. I've sometimes felt the same way about jazz. Like if I could be reincarnated so that, so that I came to age in the swing era and I could go see Benny Goodman or I could go see, you know, uh like early Duke Ellington or something like that at the Cotton Club. But but for bluegrass, that's that's what I'd want to do. I'd want to be in one of the pioneer acts as as a sideman or something like that. You know, yeah, just to be, be a part of it. Just to ride, you know, in these cars. They didn't have buses. They had just had cars and they strapped instruments and luggage on top and they go driving through the mountains playing schoolhouses and theaters and uh, drive-in pictures. They'd, they'd play the break between the movies, you know, at the drive-in picture shows. And things like that. Must have been quite a life, and I'm sure they didn't make much money. No. But, uh, but that's where this music comes from. That's where it was made in the first place, you know, and that's where the, the heritage of bluegrass music comes from. It comes from those people. So it's very fascinating to me. Do you have uh, any most memorable gig that you've played throughout your career? Well, several. Um, we have played a number of times at the Minnesota Bluegrass and Old Time Music Festival, uh, which is now located near St. Cloud. And we've been associated with them for many, many years. Um, but on two occasions, they, they put my band on on Saturday night at like 8 o'clock. And so that's prime time. Yeah. And, you know, the maximum crowd is there, you know. And I, I, think, I think we played there about 11 years ago on a Saturday night, and they had a huge attendance. It was like three or 4,000 people. And they were, they were all over us. I mean, th- it was it was a very exciting crowd to play for. Um, they were very excited, and we sold so many records that you know I sold out. I, di- I didn't bring enough, <laughs> and uh, and we had a great time that weekend. And and we played just before Tony Rice and Peter Rowan. Oh, nice! And so we were hanging out with them backstage, warming up, and Peter's asking us about our music and stuff like that, you know. And he's talking to Stephanie, so. So that was a memorable gig. That was very memorable. Yeah, didn't uh, was it Tony Rice? He played a album with Jerry Garcia, right? Yes, yes, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I think I think more than one too. And I've got to I've got to play catch up on some of those those records because I, I haven't heard them all. Uh, we had some. I don't know. Has there been any? Uh, has Stevens Point been bringing any any bluegrass acts lately? Because I know I went to UWSP and I caught it. When they brought in Pat Metheny and Sam Bush and Mineski, Martin, and Wood, not Bluegrass, but mm-hmm. all really great acts and Century. Yeah, I remember when Sam Bush was there. Yeah. Yeah, it was a good show. Um, well, you know, it depends on who's doing the booking. And there's usually some Bluegrass at least once or twice a year in there. Okay. Uh, I haven't seen any this fall, but it might be because I'm not paying attention. But uh, for a few years there, Al- Adam Gruel from Horseshoes and Hand Grenades was actually working as a booking agent for the university. Oh, that's perfect. You know? And so, so he was bringing in all his pals, including me, and uh, it was a ball. I mean, he brought in 
touring acts from around the country too. And so there was bluegrass like every, every other night of the week, practically when Adam was there. And, uh, yeah, so, so I, but, uh, but right now it's just basically college bands and they're all good and stuff like that. But I, I none of them ring a bell to me. I'm not familiar yeah. with any of their music and I haven't seen any bluegrass of note, uh, recently there, except what? in the bars. Mm, yeah. In the bars, I mean, you'll find the Dig Deep Band and Armchair Boogie and various, various Yeah, I saw uh, them folks, last year you know, sloppy around Halloween. Halloween yeah. you know, so. What's on the horizon for the high water? Well, okay. Um, it's, it's been 25 years. This is, this is our 25 year uh, out as a band. And uh, it's, it's come to the point where, you know, I've got the same people in the band that we've always had. And I love working with them. And there's only so much I can ask of these people, like my wife, for instance, you know, and so let's go out and do another year's worth of music. And after 25 years, people want to stay home, you know? And so, so there's mixed feelings in the band about how long we should continue, you oh. know? Uh, it's, it's kind of sad for me, but on the other hand, everything's got to end, you know? And, and so, so if it ends well and it, you know, goes out, with a bang, that's fine. But I, I have a feeling we're going to continue a bit longer. 2019 is looking good. You know, we've got a bunch of good things booked. Um, I have to publish that information pretty quick here. But uh, yeah, so so 2019 looks good. Beyond that, I have no idea. I have no idea. I hope hope to continue with the band. If not, I'm going to continue playing music. Uh, I'll do something else. Okay, yeah, that's what it sounded like because... Once you retire, you'll have all that time to play. Oh, yeah. Right. You know, I've got a lot of interests uh, besides, you know, science and music. I, I've, I like the outdoors, and so I, I do uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, hiking and, and backpacking and camping and, and uh, kayaking and want to do a lot more of that once, once uh, I get retired and once my wife retires too. But music is never going to be uh, set aside. I'm, I'm going to play, even if I'm playing as a solo act. Uh, but I have a feeling I'll always be playing some music with, with, um, the folks in the bluegrass band, Dale and Bruce and Stephanie, you know, we're not just going to say goodbye to each other. We're just going to, you know, probably play a little bit less to spend more times with our families. Right. Yeah. And he said you have 30, 30 acres. Got 30 acres out in Babcock, Wisconsin. Yeah. Sounds amazing. Do you, what do you do to there? Do you have a giant garden? And We do. Yeah. Okay. We garden a lot and we raise some chickens and things and turkeys and. Some ducks and perfect bluegrass life. Yeah, yeah. So we like raising our own food, and uh, it's just a good life out there. It's very quiet most of the time. You brought your guitar and harmonica with you today. I did. I did. Um, let's see. I can probably think of a. I'd like to play uh, just a little bit of the Wildwood Flower because you were asking about the first song. That, that I might have learned to play as a solo on the guitar. So I'll try that.
So that's just a little Fantastic. bit of the wildwood flower. Yeah. So that was the first song you learned. Yeah, pretty much to, to play as a, a solo guitar piece. Um, it's just an old-time country number that the Carter family used to used to do and made famous, of course. Yeah, I love the Carter family. I got that uh, one of their records when I was going to UWSP. Yeah. Had it on repeat for a long time. Yeah. What year did you graduate? Uh, 2007 in December. Communications? Uh, English. Oh, English cool. and writing. Cool. And most of my friends were in the jazz program, so. Oh, I'll bet. Did yeah. you play in it too? No. No, no, I did not. Yeah, one of uh, my friends, they're actually in a bluegrass band named The uh, Second Strings. Okay. They got to open up for Del McCurry in Stoughton last That's year. That's fantastic. Which was awesome. Yeah, Del's Del's my man. I, he's my favorite singer in bluegrass. One of my favorite rhythm guitar players, too. Yeah, it was it was a great show. Yeah, I'll bet. Stoughton Opera House is really nice, too. Oh, they must have been so pleased to, to be there. Oh, they were yeah. super excited. <laughs> That's a great venue. I played there when it was first reopened after all those years of being just shut down and mothballed. Uh, we got in there back in 2001 and played it, and it was it was beautiful. Just a wonderful, wonderful night of music in there. Let me let me play a little harmonica. This this is the kind of harmonica playing that I was doing maybe maybe 25 years ago or 30 years ago, uh, and I've just kind of resurrected a couple of different versions of this song or tune. It's one called Cotton Eyed Joe, and I play a particular version with with our band, the High Water Band. But I'd like to try a slightly different version here. Uh, let's see here. I'd have been married a long time ago. I'd have I stubbed my toe, I called for the doctor, Cotton Eye Joe, called for the doctor, Cotton Eye Joe. <laughs> Had not been for the cotton eye Joe, had not been for the cotton eye Joe. That was great. 
Thank you so much. Oh, sure. You're welcome. You're welcome, Colin. I'm sure our listeners will love it. I love it when people can play a song or two on the podcast. It really, really adds to it. Get to hear about you and your band and then get to actually hear the real thing right there. This is the kind of stuff I've been doing. I, I was playing that that kind of harmonica when I was like 18 and... uh you know, I had to I had to learn a bunch of new things to go with it since then. But uh, but uh, I I used to I used to play at these parties and I'd just play by myself with without any accompaniment like that, and people would be dancing around and you know having a ball. I remember those days. I can see it. Yeah. This song I'm trying to learn it, and uh, I'm I'm starting to do it with. Well, I, I sang it with Adam Gruel. We played at a party. And uh, so I sang it with him, but I haven't really sung it out very much. But anyway, so so the the song is about uh, it's about the West, and I'm um, I'm kind of enthralled with with cowboy songs, even though I don't even ride a horse. I'm not in you know I'm not a participant. I'm just an observer. I'm a fascinated observer with it and a student of it, and. Uh, so I learned Spanish Johnny. I heard uh, Ian Tyson did it, and I, my understanding was that he was the writer. It turned out that was not correct. It turned out it was Willa Cather, the poet and novelist of uh, okay. 100 years ago, that, that wrote this text. And then I think Ian put it to, to music, and so that's how it came to be as a, a song. So... Those other years, the dusty years, we drove the big herds through. I can't recall the miles we rode, Spanish Johnny too. He'd sit beside a water ditch when all the herd was in. He hardly spoke single word just sang to his mandolin the old talk the old ways the dealings of our games but Spanish Johnny never spoke just sang the songs of Spain his talk with men was vicious talk he was drunk on gin Ah, but those were golden words he sang To his mandolin We had to stand, we had to judge Tried to stop him then for the hand so gentle to a child had killed so many men. He died a hard death so long ago before the road come in. And the night before our Johnny swung, he sang to his mandolin. The old talk old ways the dealings of our game 
And Spanish Johnny never spoke, just sang the songs of Spain. Died a hard death so long ago, before the roads came in. And the night before our Johnny swung, he sang to his mandolin. And the night before our Johnny swung, he sang to his mandolin. That's great. I'm yeah. really glad you did that one. I'm still learning it. It's pretty unique. Hardly anybody sings it. It's I really like, like it. Yeah. It's like Emmylou Harris did it back in 1975. Ian did it in the mid-70s, and I don't know who else. Huh. Probably nobody. I don't think I've heard it. Yeah. But it's fantastic. That's a Willa Cather poem. Have you heard, I don't know if you like Grateful Dead at all. Sure. Bob Weir's new Cowboy Song album. Have Blue not, Mountain. and I got to get it. It's amazing. Really? I, I got to get it. I can loan it to you. Yeah. yeah. It's called Blue. Wait, we might have it here, actually. I probably ordered it for the library. Yeah. But it's just all cowboy songs. I got to hear him do it. <laughs> it's good. I, I, I read a brief a brief review of it, and it sounded okay. very intriguing. Yeah. I went and saw him with his cowboy band in uh, Chicago at the Chicago Theater. It's fantastic. One of the best shows I've seen. Did you ever get to see The Grateful Dead? No, sadly. No, neither did I. No. Nope. I saw in Chicago, I saw in 2015 when they did that big, huge reunion thing. Yep. Saw that. I've seen all the members multiple times. Cool. Didn't get to see Jer. Uh, I love their music. I uh, I never did get to see them. Just just didn't pursue it hard enough, I guess. But uh, yeah, my one of my favorite records of all times is Working Man's Dead. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. I have that on vinyl. Spin that at home. Yeah, I got a vinyl too. Yep. <laughs> Which I really should learn a song off it, but not the ones that you'd usually expect people to sing, but like the Dire Wolf's a good one. Oh, Dire Wolf's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. I would love to hear you guys play Dire Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> it's done. Yeah. <laughs> it's right here. <laughs> okay. Okay, good. You ever going to press any of your stuff into vinyl? I thought about making 78s. Okay. I actually yeah. found a record company that still presses them. Just a few here and there for novelties. Yeah. I don't know. I thought it would be kind of crazy to just make a 78 RPM with a song on each side. Three minutes. I don't know if anybody would be able to play it. I would. I've got a 78 player. <laughs> yeah. Do you, I don't know what you need for the 78. <laughs> oh, I think I think there are turntables that, that you can get new ones, actually, that still play 78s, but they're collectible you know, okay. Uh, you know, I think, yeah, my small production plays audio. 33, 45. Yeah. Yeah. So you almost have to find an old machine and I've, I've got like four different machines that all play 78s and I've got a, I've got a Philco and, and, uh, it's a hi-fi and I, I use it to record the 78s onto digital media, you know, so that I can EQ them and, you know, get, get the EQ the way I want it and bring out the bass a little bit more and maybe not so much of the mid-range. Um, so. Yeah, the university has some kind of transferring yeah, they for do. records. Yes, they do. 
Oh, I don't know. But but yeah, vinyl's coming back. I mean, I prefer vinyl to, to CDs for sure. Oh, me too. You know, it's just more music. You're getting more sound. Yeah, I think that I think that really matters. Even people say, oh, you the human ear can't hear the frequency that's coming out. But I, it must do something to well, our different parts of our bodies. It must we must be able to sense it somehow, even if it's not auditory. Mm-hmm. It definitely, I think, changes the feel. Well, it took a while for them to learn how to master, so that you wouldn't hear certain overtones, especially in classical music with the violins and the the, the violin sections where they're playing very high. It didn't sound right to me when I first heard it digitally. You know, back in the late nineteen eighties when CDs came out, I'm like, oh, that doesn't sound right. There's something going on there. And so what I think I was hearing is overtones, you know, okay. and maybe, I don't know, beats and things like that. And it, it's a product of the 44.1 kilohertz sampling rate. And then the higher end transient, you know, the way the, the violins are combining, you know, when you've got six of them playing together, it just didn't sound right in digital. It sounded better in analog. And I think it still does. But the mastering process is, of course, improved. Yeah. You know, and so they they can... They can kill some of that artifact. They can kill some of that effect. Yeah, that, they can do might... a lot of stuff now. Some people even record on reels still, but mm-hmm. it like it audit transfers to digital like almost simultaneously. But it's yeah. still they're still capturing it all on the yep. reel and then yep. transferring it and mastering it. Yeah, I like the fatness of tape. I like I, I used to I used to like to run. Uh, I did several records where we went to tape and then we digitized you know, to make CDs. But so it was, it was analog and then digital later. But, um, I like the fatness of the tape. I like to, I like to really boost the signal and come close to distortion, like, like get it way up there close to the edge, you know, right, right close to the red line. Like when you're singing or an instrument is playing or something like that. And it just fills up the, the signal is, is just strong. It's a good preamble do that now though. A good oh, preamble yeah. and digital. So I, you know, I know it can be done just as well now with digital, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Supposedly it can be done. <laughs> and then, and then digital's so cheap. I mean, you know, a terabyte costs a hundred bucks, right? Yeah. And then you got to, yeah, all that reel that you need to burn through. Two inch tape. Two inch tape's got to cost around at least 250 bucks a reel, if, if not more these days. I don't know. That's insane. You can still buy it. I yeah. mean, people still use it, sure. Yeah. Are you a Dry Branch, not Dry Branch Fire Squad, that's a, another great band, but I was thinking of the Drive-By Truckers mm. at this moment. I have heard them a couple times, but I'm not a regular listener, but because it was a while ago and I haven't I haven't picked up a record again and tasted it out again. I know, I know they do some of their stuff on two-inch reel, you know, and then digitize it later during the mix or whatever, but, you know, they use tape too, or at least they did for a while. Um, I have a final question of sorts. Oh, sure. Hit on it a little bit, but I would just like to get your take on anyone who's listening who's thinking about picking up music, starting music, maybe they're a young person. What's your what's your advice? What's your, for them to get started? Well, um, start early. I, I like to... I wish I'd picked up the, the guitar when I was like seven, but but I picked up the harmonica instead, and I, I got really far on the harmonica. Um, I didn't get quite as far on the guitar, but if you can start young 
and really work at it before you get too busy in life, then you'll have a, a chance of, you know, gaining mastery of the instrument or mastery of singing or whatever you want to do. And then when you get busy in life, you can continue. Like, you know, once you get a full-time job and uh, you don't have to leave your music behind, you can keep working on it. You can play around the house and when you have kids, you can play for your kids. That's might good get, advice. Might get lucky and have a girlfriend or a wife that plays music. That's yeah. what happened to me. And so I feel very fortunate for that. So, Did your parents play music? Um, my mother was and still is a singer and she still plays piano. So she played in church and um, she just played all kinds of music around the house on the piano for fun, classical uh, no jazz, but some a couple of novelty pieces I remember her playing, mostly classical. And then she, she sang. She sang in various choruses and Monteverdi-style choruses in Stevens Point. So, Any other interesting facts you'd like to leave us with that we didn't cover? Uh, Wisconsin's a great place to be. Um, I'm glad there's so many good musicians around here. I'm glad that bluegrass and the string band scene and the, the jamgrass scene – is going as strong as it is. It just makes for a whole lot of people that are getting together to to make this music. It, it makes for a scene in which you can go out and get in a band if you want to. You can get lessons if you want to. Uh, you can get a gig. You know, you can you can play a festival or you can play a club. There there are all kinds of opportunities out there right now for the kind of music I play, which is bluegrass and and. Uh, and roots music in general. So it's going strong here in Wisconsin and it's it's very healthy, I think. And I'm I'm very happy to see it that way. I'm very happy about that yeah. too, because I like to listen. Yeah. Thank you for coming here. It's been a pleasure. Oh, you're very welcome, Colin. Very welcome. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. We hope you use this information to strike up a local conversation. We believe in the power of community and story here at the library, and we have plenty of stories in book, ebook, CD, DVD, and magazine form. Check us out at macmillanlibrary.org to see upcoming events, including concerts, speakers, movies, and more. We also have free online classes through Gale Courses, as well as a host of databases for your research needs. If you can't find what you're looking for, stop in at the information desk. The Macmillan Conversation Maker podcast can be found at macmillanlibrary.org backslash podcast. Mm-hmm.